the session you had a couple of nights ago when you had that Afghani lady talking about what she is accomplishing here in the United States and the news about Afghanistan. So your presence will be very helpful when we come to the Q&A and meeting our two wonderful friends here. Catherine, my love, is it time? I think it is, although we, this is Heidi, although we don't have Chloe with us. I'm going to send her a message, but. Okay. Because I was just communicating with her. All right. Maybe we could just start with Sakina. Mm -hmm. And then Sakina is a, such a powerhouse that she could handle the whole situation and then some. <laughs> right, Sakina? Thank you. It's very thoughtful of you. I don't know these days if I am, I am anybody like that. I don't know. But anyway, thank you for your wonderful remark. Thank you. Yeah. And of course, all of you know Catherine Marshall, who has been my mentor and my friend and the provider of many of the speakers we had over the last 62 sessions, because she knows everybody who is very important and whose voice has to be heard and always generously offers them to us. And so Sakina too comes to us from Catherine Marshall. Thank you. All the way, Washington, D.C. So, Ava, do you want me to yes. kick it off? Yes, please. Thank you. Okay. Today is, um, for me, a, a special day because two people who I love and care so much about uh, and admire uh, are both here, though Chloe Breyer um, has not yet appeared on our screen, but I'm sure she will because I was in touch with her. Uh, but the topic that we're talking about today is one that we are, I think many of us deeply preoccupied about, which is the aftermath of the 20 year war in Afghanistan, but even more the efforts to support that country uh, in its fights, but also in its development and its progress. Uh, and Sakina Yakubi uh, is an absolute force of nature. Um, I got to know her some years ago because she was nominated for a very important prize, uh, a prize for working for peace, the Opus Prize. Uh, and it is a prize that that is for peace, but also that's inspired by, by the religious motivations of the individual. And Sakina was a nominee and she emerged as the winner uh, of, the, uh, of the Opus Prize, which is a substantial prize, but also of a very special recognition. So in that process, I had the privilege of getting to know Sakina and since then have seen her Uh, on a number of occasions and kept track of her work. She is the um, she is passionately committed to the education of girls, uh, but also to the roles of women. Uh, and 
in the past weeks, she has been in the thick of the challenges of helping to um, look at, at what's going to happen uh, to women in Afghanistan, both those who were trying to escape, but also those who are left behind because you can't airlift the entire uh, population. So Sakina will tell you, I think, a bit about her work. And I see that Chloe Breyer has joined us. Uh, Chloe uh, is an Episcopal priest in New York City. Um, she leads the uh, interfaith uh, work in New York, a lot of very remarkable work uh, over many years, but she has also been very much involved with Sakina in, I guess, what we could call the rescue operation, uh, but also in really having to pivot and rethink what is the best that we all can do for the women of Afghanistan. So I think with that, um, and primarily with my expression of admiration uh, to both of them, let's turn over to, I'm not sure how you want to handle it, but it's up to Sakina and Chloe. And I also do want to welcome Betty Reardon, who I see made it onto uh, the call, who is, um, I would describe her as one of the pillars of women in um, peace and, and security with many, many years of work on that. And I know she and um, Sakina are also colleagues and longtime friends and mutual admirers. So it's very good to have her, her on, on the call. So Sakina, over to you. Uh, thank you very much, Katin. First of all, I want to um, thank every one of you to give this your precious time for today's to be together and to really talk about the uh, most important issue that I think it is to every nation, not only to Afghanistan, but for every nation, especially the topic of education. And such a time that right now, many countries are going through crisis, especially Afghanistan that's going through crisis and I really um, uh, admire every one of you and your dedication to be here. Um, we are talking about Afghanistan, why we want to really emphasize girls' education. Um, first of all, I want to tell you that I think that for every nation, if they want to be successful, if they want to be economically, socially, and uh, academically, if they want to be successful, they must pay attention to the education of their country, especially to the education of women and girls. As you know, all of you, I don't have to tell you, you are all aware of it and you are all very highly educated that half of the population are the women and girls. And if we ignore half of the population of a country, I don't think we could achieve a success that we are all after. So just leaving it that, I just want to give you a little brief explanation about the situation in Afghanistan um, prior to days. Um, you know, Afghanistan for five decades have been struggling with the system of education, trying to really educate the women and girls. And we all say that education for all, boys and girls for every nation. And we are screaming and talking about it. But as soon as we go after it and we try to improve the system of education, it's invasion or occupation or some other issue rises and we collapse back down, the government collapse, and we go the ground zero again. And that has been 
a five decade history of the women and children of Afghanistan. And it is very, very sad situation right now. As you know, education, um, Afghanistan has a tradition that almost it's impossible. Every single person in Afghanistan are religious. I am personally a very religious. I consider myself a religious person. I believe in God. I believe in justice. I believe in equality. And I believe that everyone in Afghanistan are religious person. They are Muslim. Everybody is Muslim. Religion is nothing, something new for us. And also hijab is nothing new for us. You all know me and you saw me since you saw me until now, you, never you saw me without hijab. Always I wear hijab. So this is something is not new. But to have something to say just because of religion or because of hijab or because of being Muslim and young women and young girls be deprived of their education, I don't think that is right. Also, you all know that education is a human right. It's a right of every individual that they have to really achieve what they want to in their life in order to be sustainable, in order to defend themselves, if in order to really uh, achieve a successful life, uh, status in life, they need to be educated. Just talking about that today, I just want to give you a little brief about AOL work. AOL start from zero ground and the camp refugee, and the camp refugee in Pakistan, Peshawar. When we start the system of education over there, we went camp to camp and we saw how much people are suffering. And the reason that they were suffering because they were not able to speak out for themselves and they were not able to stand up economically and even physically. Also, they were sick. They were mentally also tired of being refugee, being in the refugee camp and being poor in poverty. So what we did, we start with the system of education. We start building education system in the refugee camp. And our intention and our mission was that to really educate these people to be able to have critical thinking. And we decided that the only way that we can get people to think critically is to really start teacher training program. Because we all believe, and all of you are educated, if you want to have a good system of education, you must have a good system of uh, education to a good uh, teacher. A teacher must be a teacher that relate to the, um, her students. A teacher must be relate to the students, to the family of the students. A teacher also must be somebody that the children can be happy and also feel comfortable as a friend with them. And so because of that, we decided to set up a system of education. So we developed this uh, student-centered technique methodology in Peshawar, Pakistan. We wrote about eight manual and we start building school after school. At that time that you know that the Taliban, it, it was during 90, end of 90s, that the Taliban also took over Afghanistan. So at that time, the people of Afghanistan from inside the country, come requested educational system from us that we go inside Afghanistan and to build a school. And as you know, that the um, request wasn't easy to accept, but being concerned about the children, being concerned about the women of Afghanistan, the way the situation was there, the way that they were banned to education, they could not get to school, they could not go to outside. You all know about it. I don't need to repeat this issue again for you. So we decided no matter how um, 
dangerous is we decided we go underground and we built a system of education inside Afghanistan. We did go underground and we built AD school inside Afghanistan. And we had 30,000 students in that AD school. And those students were the students that today they are holding different position in the government. One thing that is unfortunate to say to you that we didn't have during this two last decade, 20 years, we didn't have a good system of government. They did not support the educational system. They supported by saying, yes, you can go to school, but really they didn't pay attention to the system of school. They didn't pay attention to the um, training the teacher. As a result, the system of education still is not a system that we can count on it, but we are reaching. When we started, it was like about the um, literacy was about uh, 13%. Now, today, we can say, according to UNICEF, that the literacy program is higher than almost 30% up. So you could see that the difference. But it still is not a way that uh, we could say that in every community or every city or every state, we have educational system. We are long way behind that. But EIL tried to, after the fall of the Taliban, in 2002, we went into Afghanistan and we start the system of education and we start again teacher training. So training 29,000 teachers and we reach thousands and thousands of that. As you know, during these 20 years, women of Afghanistan start studying very, very hard. They are smart, they are brilliant, they really gain a lot. In that period of time, with that situation, with the environment that they have, with a lot of restriction, with poverty, the women of Afghanistan and the girls in Peru tremendously. And I am so proud of every one of them because they really work very, very hard. As a matter of fact, during the time that we started our program, we set up women learning center. In this women learning center, we had the hub that we start faster classes. You all know what is that mean. We start putting students who were 20, 14, 15, they never went to school. We put them into the school that they go one grade, two grade faster. They get to the level that they want that they can go to the system, uh, uh, to the educational system to do the school. And they were achieving that very clearly and they were dying for education. So we continue to provide education. Today, educational system is at risk. I am hoping, I am praying that we will be allowed to put our girls and women back to school. The new government are trying to tell us that yes, they can go. Right now in, in Afghanistan, every day I have the news from Afghanistan. I communicate with my staff. They said that right now, the first through sixth grade, the students can go to school. But from sixth to 12th grade, they said that we think about it. I hope that they think about it. I hope that they allow the girls to go to school because that means that if the girls are not going through the higher education, it means that we are going to lose, again, our new generation not being able to educate it. As you know, uh, first through sixth grade is not going to be a quality that you can run a country. And also, I will, right now, I talk that this, this government needs our skillful teacher. They need our school skillful women who they have a skill, they have, they are lawyer, they are a doctor, they are engineer, they are a, a administrator. Every one of them could help this government right now to could be side by side with them, working with them. So far, it's, it's uh, really the question is that 
or they are going to allow them or not. Yes, the, our uh, medical, our, our clinic are open. Every clinic is open. Our doctor, our nurses are going to work. They, every one of them are going to work. But our center also, women's center are open because they are all women. There is no men at it at all. They are open. But the school system is still closed. And also offices, most of our workers who are men, they are coming to the office, but the women, they are not. So my concern is that I hope that they find in her, they are hard and they find for their benefit that the gender equality is very important. Women, uh, half of the population of Afghanistan are women. And if they are going to use this woman, if they let them to go to work, the country will progress rapidly and they will be um, uh, very satisfied with the skill that is learned gained so far. And if they don't do it, I think that the, the country will not go forward and they will have problems within their head because these women through all this year, they test their freedom, they test their education, they test uh, um, knowledge, they test a, um, a skill that they are not going to sit back, back at home and not doing anything. And that is my concern. And I hope that um, these things will be over pretty soon. It's a nightmare for everybody, including me. As an individual who for 31 years, constantly work in the area of education. Thousands and thousands of girls and women have been educated through our program. We have lots of administrators. We had a lot of people working with the government from our program because they were very talented. But yes, we had corrupted government. I do not deny that. I knew that from the beginning. But that is something that our people should not suffer for the um, previous government. Our women should not be judged by the what the government did before or how corrupted they were or how um, uh, because of a um, situation of uh, whatever they think that those people were bad. I mean, the women should not be punished. The women of Afghanistan have been punished all their life and they don't deserve this and they deserve a better life. So that's stop here. And I would like that Chloe talk about it. And if you have questions, I'd be happy to answer. Um, my concern is right now educational system for Afghanistan. I really believe that the entire international community should back up the women of Afghanistan, should stand side by side with the women of Afghanistan with solidarity to, to say that the women of Afghanistan deserve to have their education back. They deserve to go to job. They deserve to be um, part of this nation. They deserve to be in the decision-making um, they don't deserve to be a minister or a um, director or a leader. And that is what I am talking about. Thank you. Chloe, over to you, I think. Great. Thank you so much, Catherine. Thank you, Sakina, and for everybody who's on today. And I, I um, Sakina, everything you've said has, has led me to uh, a very pressing question about education. Um, before that I ask you that, because it's been on my mind, I just wanted to give a moment of background um, in terms of my own involvement in, in Afghanistan um, as an Episcopal priest here in New York City, it dates actually back to 9-11 to and to having served um, down at the at Ground Zero and as many 
people of different faiths did who were in a chaplaincy role and to the voices of people whose uh, loved ones died on September 11th, many of whom were convinced that this horrific um, event had to lead to something um, of greater understanding and of greater um, awareness among Americans and Afghans. A group called September 11th Families for Peaceful Tomorrows went to Afghanistan in January of 2002 and uh, our diocese here in New York partnered with an Afghan mo um, mosque in Flushing to help rebuild a mosque that had been hit by U.S. bonds north of Kabul. So it was a, an interfaith effort. Beyond that, um, being part of an NGO that has built a few schools and women's health clinics in Wardak province um, has sort of kept a thread of, of involvement um, since that time. And I would say that uh, that as far as um, women's education is concerned, Betty Reardon had edited a book to which I contributed, um, looking at the, uh, the roles of um, whether or not peace in Afghanistan could be measured by the number of girls who went to school. That was the thesis of, a, of, a, of a, um, an article that I had contributed to Betty's book. Um, and uh, the question is, is as pertinent now as it was then. Can we measure peace by the number of girls who are educated? And I think there's a strong answer that we can. The question becomes very fraught, however, right now, as you pointed out, Sakina, because as we know, there is a, a large proportion of girls who are not getting educated at this moment, those from grades seven to 12. And, um, what it would take, it seems, would be many uh, or an international institution um, with, uh, with control over something called the Afghan, I need help with the actual, the AFT or the Afghan Foundational Trust, is that, yes. is that right? Yes. That has in the past taken responsibility for the salaries of teachers, right? Even in the past government, is that, is that correct? Uh, well, um, well, actually, before you even before you even ask that, I'll just get the whole question in here. Yes, yes. Yeah. Is the is that if these funds are if te right now no teachers, it seems to me, women teachers are really being paid as and and that's a pressing issue that leads to humanitarian questions. If <laughs> some of these funds were to be released to enable uh, more girls to go back to the, to school. Would that be considered, uh, you know, capitulating to the Taliban? That's that's my question because my sense and and Sakina, I would love your feedback on this. Is in some ways the education of girls is um, is something over which we care a lot, and people in Afghanistan care a lot. But if it means that we have to deal with the Taliban in order to release salaries that enable girls to go back to school, should we do that? Or should we pressure international institutions to do that? Well, uh, first of all, I think that this is something that um, um, this, whoever the foundation is, that they have to discommunicate this with the Taliban because the Taliban are the one that right now they are uh, in charge of the country. They are in charge of the system. Right. But right. my concern is that, uh, first of all, um, this is right now 
please, because a lot of audience will hear me and it is right now, already I have a, on, in the, on the ground, I have a staff who are working 24 seven right now on the ground. I do not want their life to be jeopardized because of this, but it is also very important for me to answer your question. My concern is that education is very important and the teacher definitely needs to get the salary. And right now, Afghanistan is in poverty. Those teachers did not get salary for six months. They did not get salary previous, uh, prior to this because nobody was giving them the salary at the time of any also. Soldier didn't get salary, teacher didn't get salary, or uh, people who are working for the government didn't get salary. Why do you think that they are saying that $169 million was embezzled by, men, uh, by Ghani in taking away from the, uh, from the act? And so many uh, $11 million was embezzled somewhere else. I don't want to get into that, but I'm telling you that as, as an individual who have been watching that, that our staff constantly got their salary, but the government official didn't get salary. The teacher did not get salary. And you know that uh, no matter how many international community were supporting a school, AIL was working for 16 provinces of Afghanistan. We had a school after a school. We have center, but we could not accommodate everybody. The people who we accommodate, we pay every salary until this last two months, we don't have salary. In these two months, our people understand that because the World Bank stopped, the money have been uh, hold back right now. So, and they are trying to open the bank. And as a matter of fact, this last week, the bank opened, they start letting people to bring the money. And then right now we are able to take some money, but we are not allowed to take a lot of money because the bank are empty, all the bank are empty. So that is a crisis right now with the Taliban. Also, they have an empty bank in their hand. So they could not pay salary. So right now, for example, we want to pay our salary, not pay it because we could not take the money at once. Like every month, our salary alone by itself, $120,000 is our salary, a payroll. We have 1,200 people in our payroll, but for two months, we didn't pay salary. So this is something that it is a, is a, a crisis, is a crime. People are starving. Those people who are teachers, they only make it like uh, the government people. They make it like uh, the most 10,000 Afghani per month. And that barely made it their food to just eat with their family. Now you can imagine for so many, many uh, months, they don't have food. That is the reason, Chloe, that I went after you, I went to Geneva, I tried to send that, that please release humanitarian assistance for Afghanistan. You guys are scared that it will fall in the hand of the Taliban. I think that um, somebody has to go and make negotiation. First priority is that humanitarian assistance get to there and the salary for the teacher has to get there. And I think that if they want to run the country, which they want, which they say, they should pay the salary and they should pay the salary. I think they pay the salary of the people. That is my um, um, knowledge that I gained so far, that the things are going as they say they are going to do it. They are doing it, but it is very, very hard in, for them even to handle it. It is everything in chaos situation. It is uh, people are dying in the street. As I said to you before, Kului, 
800,000 people are displaced inside the city of Kabul alone. People are sitting in the side of the street without shelter, without food, without medicine. We use every reserve that we had, every medicine that we had in our clinic. We have eight clinics inside Afghanistan. All eight clinics are running around the clock. People are coming into the clinic. They want a shelter. They come in the clinic to just see to have somewhere to sit. To be there, and we could not accommodate those people because those people, or some of them are sick, some of them are traumatized, some of them are hungry, starving. Clinic could not uh, accommodate all those people. We did the best we could. Finally, we ran out of everything. Right now, we don't have that much at all for ourselves to provide for our clinic. So uh, the situation is very bad. I don't know if I get your point or not, or if you got it or not. I think that the salary will go, and uh, if you. Um, uh, communicate with the Taliban if you try to uh, make sure that also negotiation with the Taliban, I think that there should be um, a commitment. There should ask from them a commitment. Yes, we are going to give this money. All this money is going to go to the people's salary or not. Some commitment, if you get from them, I think that's very important. Before they sit on the negotiation table, no commitment, and look what happened. So I think that there must be some commitment by them. And if you expect some commitment, I saw that um, UN, they were talking to the Taliban. As a matter of fact, um, the European um, headquarters, they were trying to say that, okay, we. We have no choice except that we uh, become to some kind of uh, uh, um, uh, understanding with the Taliban because right now the issue is humanitarian. It is a crime. People are dying on the street. What happened to the human's life? What happened to the woman's life? People are starving, starving out of hunger. And that is first priority, I think. Right. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for... for for saying what you, you've shared with us. And um, it's and for everything that you have spent your life doing and, and what a difficult time this is for, for everyone in particular, for, for you um, who've invested so much in, in your country and in women's education there. And from a perspective of somebody on the outside here in the United States with, with a, a small amount of involvement, it seems that there are three areas of, uh, of, of activity right now that are happening. Um, and these are reflected in the kind of set of ad hoc weekly calls that um, Betty's and, and others perhaps on this call have been part of. They include the evacuations, which is what we see and hear a little bit about in the news, not really um, as much activity as we would like when it comes to the desire of women in the country to be able to leave especially those who have been leaders in civil society and have been part of a generation um, that has grown up since the 1990s that really um, have borne the fruits of, of, a, of, a, of a generation's worth of education. Those civil society leaders, though they have embodied the values of the United States and what we as a democracy um, hold most dear ourselves, which is vibrant civil society, they had, did not work for members of the United States military. They did not work for our government. So they were not able to benefit from the SIV visas or, uh, or um, any kind of um, privilege that a United States citizenship or green card holders would benefit from in terms of priority for evacuations. There's therefore a large swath of, of women educated in uh, democratic values who put themselves on the line and to, uh, to really lead their own civil society that are 
at home now with, with very little future. And only those such as, um, thankfully, actually, the, the six parliamentarians um, who were able to get out, uh, you know, by way of Iran just ago, um, connections around the world and huge numbers of, of people around the, the world, you know, seeking to help them, they have managed to get as far uh, as Greece. I don't think there are too many others who've been able to do that. Of the 65 women parliamentarians and um, handful of women judges who are also, who have had very, very public um, personas, very public roles in the, in the life of their country and have been exposed uh, disproportionately, I would say, towards other people. They too then are having a tremendously difficult uh, uh, journey out of the country. Um, and uh, huge uh, kudos go to groups like uh, you know, Vital Voices and Mita's List and, um, uh, and Too Young to Wed, um, that have uh, an individual, you know, philanthropists who have chartered flights, taken huge risks, and invested huge time in, in trying to, to get these uh, women to safety. But that amount of resources and efforts should not have to be confined on such a few. And it is, a, it is really, um, it is a travesty that, uh, that not more um, women in Afghanistan are able to, um, to, to live lives of safety and uh, pursue the, uh, the ideals that they have been educated um, and work so hard for. So that brings us to the second area of focus and concentration, which is what we were just discussing. What do we do as a country to lobby and to advocate for the conditions of women and men on the ground in Afghanistan. And then the debate comes forward, well, what is the role of international institutions? What is the role of the United States? It's complicated by the fact that, you know, that fear of terrorism is involved. Um, and that, so that leads us to a whole second area of uh, long-term concerns that, that we have to continue to engage in. And um, a woman by the name of Annie um, from, from Women Get for Afghan Women, who's been at the State Department for a long time, has proposed that domestically, we try to form a commission along the lines of the 9-11 um, uh, commission, a bipartisan body given power by Congress, but not controlled by Congress, that can be a sort of thorn in the side between administrations. Because now what we know is there is nothing that the Biden administration would like more for this whole thing to go away because it has been a disaster. So what is it, how can we as a country continue to involve our government um, for the long-term? And so this idea of um, some kind of, of commission to look at Afghanistan that would involve um, human rights values and, and, and education, um, that would look at um, how we as a, a country uh, continue to, um, to deal with our with our military and how does you know the question of terrorism will not go away because we've just uh, you know there is this the state that Afghanistan is in is very vulnerable right now to to lots of different people and so security concerns for Afghans and for those living outside of Afghanistan um, becomes multiplied as well 
So that's part of the focus, but not the whole focus of, of a commission that would uh, continue to engage on the question of how does the United States um, foreign policy towards Afghanistan continue to evolve. Um, and there's a third category as well, which I wanna leave maybe Betty Reardon can talk a little bit about the role of UNAMA. Um, the United Nations, um, uh, the United Nations Afghanistan mission um, that has been in the country for a very long time and has been, um, it's had its mission renewed just for another six months. Um, what can that UN um, entity do to further stability, peace and education in Afghanistan? So those are some three kinds of pockets of, of activity that seem to be very important to engage on. I just leave it like that. I guess we can have, have and, however you'd like to. And I have. see something, Chloe, uh, because uh, right now it's in the area that you talk about it. I really would like to say a few things. First of all, um, you know that uh, we are talking here about Afghanistan, about women and girls in Afghanistan. That is, for me, it is a priority. I think that women and girls of Afghanistan are priority, that we save them. How we save them? For example, there are 35 million people in Afghanistan. 35 million people that they are in Afghanistan. Let's say 17 million are uh, women and children. They are there. And for 17 million people, let's say we... Um, try to move them and try to take them around different country, the most maybe uh, 100,000, 200,000, not more than that. How about the other 16 and a half million people? What is going to happen to those women? I really believe that all institutions, whoever is going to work in that area, we should concentrate that how to save those people, those women from um, uh, from from crisis. And those are human beings. They are hungry, they are sick, they are uh, without um, security, and they are in the country. So, and they are looking for the international community, for the international organization, for the international women, who especially that they really encourage them to stand up and be stand between solidarity. Those people, yes, I am concerned about the parliamentarian women. I am concerned about a lot of women who are in a high position, but somehow, as you said, they can communicate with the world. I can get some support, which I am glad they do. But how about those women who stand up in front of the gun? You saw the news that the gun was pointed in their chest and they were standing up and demonstrating. How about those women? What they are going to do? Who is going to be stand behind them? Or should we leave them alone? Just, just today, I think that somehow somebody must think about these women. What we are going to do somehow Communicate with the government of Afghanistan right now to what you are going to do with this woman. All these women are going to go to work. All these women are going to have a right. All these women are going to get education. This is priority. Humanitarian assistance will be carried to by UNEMO and they are take already their convoy and they are trying to really reach some kind of negotiation to bring it to the people. But their commitment needs to be done. The Commitment has to take by those people. If you give them humanitarian assistance, if you give them a salary, then you have to get make sure that some commitment take from them that they are dedicated, they are committed to reach for those people. I think that just trying to move people 
is not the solution. I, I know, I want, as a matter of fact, I requested four people to be moved, but the point is that we could not move everybody. I have 1,200 uh, personnel who are in danger in the right front line. I could not move all of them. They could not get out. They are there, they are working. So my concern is that let's think about it in the long term. Let's all of you are, who are working in this issue, who are internationally, uh, they are really, you have a voice. Think about that issue. Nobody think about that, how we are going to deal with that. Everybody is trying to say, okay, we are going to get these people out. Yes, you are going to get these people out. How about 35 million people who are there? What happened to them? If you forget Afghanistan, if you, if you leave Afghanistan the way it is, Afghanistan will be completely in the corner and those people will be all be um, uh, personal of their life. I mean, that is the way is, uh, everybody should see it. We should community have responsibility. We are as individual, in, individual who we are all screaming for democracy, for rule of law, for for the, uh, for women's rights, human rights, and justice, equality, gender equality. And so it is the time to really implement that. I am sorry to say it. Could we? I I really uh, day and night. I I shouldn't talk that way because I know that my life is in danger. But but this is the way the communication is taking me away. That. I must defend those people. I must stand up for those people. Community after community, I have been working with them. For 60 province of Afghanistan in the rural area, I have been communicating with those people. Those people are scared. They are scared for their life. Not only they are scared for their life, they are no food, no shelter. I mean, I mean that, is, that is concern. That is my concern. Education must be implement inside Afghanistan. Education must be given to the girls. Everybody who's dying out, they can come in this country or some other country. They finally, they get their salary, they get education, they get whatever. How about those people over there? Aren't they human beings? What we are going to do with them? We have to fight for them. They could <laughs> fight for themselves. Already they fight and they start and they study. They had demonstration and now they stop. They said, you cannot uh, anymore demonstrate. We have to speak for them. You speak for them, I speak for them, and some other colleagues have to speak for them because they don't have no voice now. The words get worse, maybe they, uh, their internet will be cut too. That's the, the issue. Anyway, sorry, I, I, I shouldn't um, talk that way. I love every one of you, and I work with you, every one of you, years and years, and you have been supportive of me, and I appreciate that dearly. But I feel that, as an individual, I feel obligated to stand for the women of Afghanistan. I really do. It hurts. It hurts to see them. They are suffering. And here, we, we are not thinking about them. Young girl young boys, they had future in their head. They, they were looking up for their future. They wanted to do so much for their country. Everybody wants to stay in their country. Nobody wants to run away from their country. And they shouldn't. It's their country. Sakina, I, someone has asked me to put the question to you of what you think this kind of a group and the people here 
can do. I mean, clearly there is this question of lobbying. Um, the U.S. government and, and U.N. agencies, World Food Program, which I know is right on the front lines in trying to get food assistance to Afghanistan. But what what do you see as the as the best approach? And Chloe, I, I think the same question for you. You put three baskets of challenges very clearly. Um, what what is that? What is the best avenue at this very difficult point for any of us to pursue? I think that you lobby. I think that you write. I think that you use media. I think that you use, yeah, you can use the government, but right now, as Kluwe said, that the Biden wants to completely not to deal with this at all, but use the UN, use the international community, European. Um, they are very much behind this. And so do a lot of lobbying. I think that we all need something to do and do to actively right the way because the more we wait, the more we wait and the more these things is going to go quiet down and quiet down and that's it, you know? So the, the, the solution is to lobby, to use media, to, to use uh, UN, UN right now has, um, uh, I don't understand for so long why the UN uh, force didn't go there. I think that UN force should be there. UN is some somebody that as a, uh, as a um, uh, uh, an institute that somehow they are the one that really could do a lot of lobbying for, uh, Listen, they are asking in the UN to come somebody talk about Afghanistan who is not from Afghanistan. Isn't that, isn't that strange? People, so many younger, young women uh, inside Afghanistan, outside Afghanistan, so many parliamentarian uh, women, and they are asking in the UN uh, session to somebody else come and talk about education system or about the women of Afghanistan. Uh, from some other country. It is, it is bizarre. It is bizarre situation. How they know? How they know what the people of Afghanistan feel? I see Betty is unmuted and visible. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, may I make a comment, Catherine? Yeah. Um, I uh, uh, appreciate everything that both Chloe and uh, Sakina said, and I have to say to Sakina that there are many people who are feeling as deeply as you do. Not in the same way, of course, because we are not Afghans, but our hearts are there. And we have to be as practical as we can at the moment. And I think everything that you have suggested should be done. And I hope that we can be systematic about it. Uh, one of the things I think that all of us can do is take specific steps to keep Afghanistan in the public eye and to keep the situation of women as the center of much of that attention. Chloe had mentioned that we also had considered what the role of UNAMA might be in terms of the protection of women. And I think we all are also global citizens and can express ourselves directly to the UN through our delegates and directly to those agencies. UNAMA has had a 
as I understand it from the contacts we have in Afghanistan, a respected presence in the country since the beginning of the entry of American and NATO troops. And they have considerable record of service to the people and in the people's interests. What we are recommending to them is they put a central focus of the planning over this next six months, which is supposedly to go to a, a, a longer term renewal, to focus that on how they can carry out all their functions with a particular view to protecting women, to trying to facilitate a lot of the kinds of things that Sakina is advocating for and asking us to think about. So I would ask all of us also to take specific actions in terms of expressing our concern through our own representative system and directly to the UN and to each other and to all the forums that we have at our, our, at our disposal. Because I think it's gonna take every effort that we can possibly make to try to save as many of the women of Afghanistan as we can to keep them working in Afghanistan. And we all fully understand the need for what they have to offer to build the country's future. And I think Chloe's comment about peace being measured by the degree of education for women is uh, one that we can follow as a guideline that if we can take steps such as trying to do something to get the teachers paid, to keep girls in school, I think we have will be doing something very positive for the future of the country. And I'm sorry, I'm stiff because I am stiff. I'm nursing a stiff neck. That's why I didn't turn on, on uh, the camera and I'm going to turn it off right now. Um, Heidi, do you want to moderate? But Chloe has her fingers up, I think. Um, yeah. Oh, just um, just to Betty, just to respond to that. I think that if we all keep our eyes open to sort of social media, we'll see in the next few days, we hope, um, a hashtag pay the Afghan teachers campaign um, that is, uh, I think, in the works and, and um, you know, with, with some odd coalitions. Uh, and I think here in the United States, we have to be prepared to work with people uh, that we do not usually work with because here, are the, some of the strongest constituencies from Afghanistan for Afghanistan really crossed the aisle, right? We saw that those who, uh, you know, there is a huge influx of, of people who have come to the United States. And that's because um, they, you know, these are into communities where the, the military is very, the American military is, is very important. So the people who saved their lives from Afghanistan are not just quote, immigrants coming across the borders, they are the people who save lives in their community. So we in the United States have to be ready to work with people on um, continued involvement in Afghanistan who politically we might not usually work with. 
So this group behind, um, you know, this campaign, Pay the Teachers, will include voices on historically the progressive left, Code Pink, um, also religious voices, uh, those people from you know, who've been in some places, I'm thinking of Jamila, um, Jamila Afghani, who has sometimes been criticized because she very much sees through a lens of, of Islam when she thinks about women's rights, has been sometimes criticized by Western feminists as, as being too collaborating or too, too soft on the Taliban. But, but in these circumstances, they need an interlocutor who, who knows her stuff and is committed to women. And so we also have to be willing to work with, with people who have different faith traditions than our own and see, uh, you know, as we, um, as we move forward, keeping our eyes on the prize, which I think in this case really is um, the continued education and health of women and girls in Afghanistan. So let's just leap at every opportunity to, to get that message out. If anyone has questions, please just raise your hand or um, unmute and, and feel free to, to say hello and ask your questions. Why don't I jump in with one question? I'm, clearly the United States has some problems in putting pressure on the Taliban at this stage after the rapid withdrawal and, and so on, though there are many people in the United States who are personally engaged. But I'm also hearing about people from Muslim majority countries who are um, writing to try to sort of point out the best of Islam to the Taliban and to move them away from traditional positions. Is that something that may make a difference? And Chloe, are you involved through any of the interreligious religions for peace or other groups and efforts like that. I know Mustafa Tsarich and um, Bin Baya, Sheikh Bin Baya have both written, um, but I don't know if there are others. Um, well, Sakina may know this, but I'm going to put in the chat. Do people are, can, am I allowed to paste in the chat? Absolutely. Um, our friend Daisy Khan, who has worked with Jamili Af Afghani for a long time, um, has put together, let's see if this actually, the let me, I'm going to attempt to put a link to a, um, a, a document that is tentatively, because I think it's not published 100% yet, um, is a document, the Universal Declaration of Muslim Women's Rights Towards an Islamic Legal Framework. Um, and it's, it's a, I think she, meaning Daisy, has, this has been a work of a lot of collaboration, and it's not yet um, I think translated into either Dari or Pashto, um, but it has some very important sort of proof texts um, in five areas relating to the lives of women. Um, and I think it's a really, really valuable, um, and again, Sakina, you can, you know, know more here, but um, framing women's rights in terms of the promotion of life, the promotion and protection of religion, the promotion and the protection of intellect, the promotion and the protection of family, and the promotion and the protection of wealth. Interesting, a lot of word on that in the Bible um, as it relates to women. Um, protection and promotion of dignity. 
And these different um, sections have proof texts from both the Quran, um, the Hadith, and a number of, of, of sources that I think, you know, many, if not all, but some scholars might, might find. The whole question of whether or not these religion is a persuadable thing is a whole separate question because we all know in the United States plenty of people who call themselves religious leaders who are governed primarily by political concerns. And I assume that is also true in Afghanistan. Um, but I think this is super useful for people to know and have. Um, may I say something, uh, May I say something? Of course, of course. Um, yes, I think that, uh, first of all, I just want to um, share this with you, that the, these people who are today uh, running Afghanistan government, they, are, they were the same people that they were 20 years ago, they came to Afghanistan and they completely closed everything block, completely by name of Islam, by name of uh, Muslim. But these days they are different. They are saying different things. They are announcing different things. They are saying that they are using um, Sharia law, Sharia law, which is, as Chloe talked about this uh, right of the woman, right of uh, will, right of children, right of uh, health, right of uh, um, uh, social activity, all those right, all, all those rights are there. And they are talking about that right now. They are giving their representative who are speaking. They are saying this thing. So we are looking to see what they come up with. We are just watching what they are, the things that they are saying. Are they going to do it or not? This is one thing. Second things, we have to work. We have to be flexible to work with them. If we really want to continuously provide education, continuously provide um. Um, you know, uh, some kind of uh, skill for women and to get them involved. We must be flexible. AIL is doing, Jamila is absolutely right. We must be flexible. I know a lot of the audience maybe will hear and they said, oh, now Sakina is working with the Taliban. The issue is that we must do, um, practice our mission the best way that we could. Our mission is to educate the civil society, educate the women, and get the women out to be working in the same manner as they were working before. And that means that to bring flexibility, we are already working. For example, I just give you an example. AOL has a school. And as soon as they came and they said this, we separate. We separate boys and girls. So it's OK. As long as they're going to school, they are learning. The boys are going there separate and the girls are going separate. It's, it's no problem. Yeah, it may be problem for a lot of us in the future. But right now, we are trying to just leave the door open. At the same time, I think that we must work somehow to give this um, Islamic law throwing their face all the time. In this Islamic law, they know it. These people are different from before. Before, people did not know the law. This group right now, they know the law. If we throw the Islamic law, the Islamic, um, you know, um, Sharia things in their face and says, okay, by such and such uh, verses from or on such and such a verses, it says like that. We did that before during the refugee camp. We did that. And I think that will work also. And I'm glad that uh, Chloe said that they are writing. Uh, Daisy Khan is doing that with Jamila Afghani. It's good. I am very glad that they are doing it. Yes.
Ernan, did you have a question? Uh, yeah, we our, our political action group has been working very closely in, in Sakina and Chloe. I, I don't know if you know this group, uh, Women for Afghan Women. And, you know, like you, they have uh, 1,200 plus staff on, on the ground and have, you know, 30 odd safe houses or had 30 odd safe houses for abused and um, women at risk and, you know, remarkable Afghan organization and our political action group has been working with uh, Sunita and Nahid, you know, uh, leaders of that organization. And my learning thus far, and we've been working with them for about four weeks, so I am uh, early into my learning process, although these have been very intense emotional weeks in working with the team. And I guess just some observations that I would share are, number one, totally agree with you that a holistic approach, given the magnitude of the challenge, is absolutely essential. And maybe easier for me, Sakina, to say some of these things than you, as I've grown accustomed to some of the sensitivities and risks that you have to uh, weigh. Uh, a holistic approach, I think, is the most important. Dealing with the Taliban is part of a pragmatic strategy that says, um, A, they won, we lost, they are in control, they control the resources, they control the openness or the putativeness or the access potential of what's going on in Afghanistan. And so to be pragmatic about what it takes to give women, give refugees maximum chance is just, I think, a very mature and pragmatic approach to helping as many people as quickly as possible. And certainly one of the things that our group has been doing with hopefully success is as we look at holistic options here in the United States, or what can we do? There are 40 of us on this call. What can we do in terms of specific actions? What we've learned thus far, our group, that we have been able to engage uh, U.S. congressmen, um, state officials, such as assemblymen, and through their organization, their political network in Washington uh, and in various states, we have begun the process of trying to get people out of Afghanistan. And, and Sakina, to your point, that's a handful of people out of millions. So not to lose sight, as you well said, what do we need to do with UN and, and as Betty said, and, and other organizations that we need to engage or as Catherine referenced, but what can we do individually? Yes, we can engage our political leaders. And because as Chloe was saying, this is a cross party humanitarian view with the military, with Republican, with Democratic, we have been surprised at the level of support and engagement and I think that's encouraging as an opportunity for all of us on this call to say, how do we reach out to our political leaders and ask them to engage in something that resonates with all of their voters? Therefore, it's a win for them as well. The other thing to think about is what are the organizations that each of us cares about? You know, in our group, we're engaged with Women for Afghan Women, and we're going to be doing a great deal of fundraising resource uh, planning to try to help them. What happens to refugees when they come to the United States? In New York, the Port, of Author Port Authority of New York 
is right now a bottleneck. Well, what's going to happen when they do get to the port of New York? What happens then when they go to military bases? How long will they be in military bases? What can be done in terms of educational content to help them at the military bases? What are all the groups that you folks, as you are a multi-state group of folks here on this call, what are the different educational content organizations that you can engage to help? Some of these folks, the families of the military, the commandos, et cetera, who came over, we've learned that some of the family members were herding camels in the desert. They're completely illiterate. So what cultural educational resources can be done to help them? And then you have folks who've been through different levels of education. How can you help them? English, English as second language, computer skills, whatever makes sense. There is a great deal that we can do to help both on a US and international level. So I just wanted to share, that's what I've been learning in this last month of intense involvement that there is tangible action we can take. Sakina, Chloe, what, what are your thoughts about some of those things we're trying to do thus far? I mean, I have to say thank you to women for Afghan women. First of all, you know, Kevin Schuma, he's been the best lobby kind of person to keep us up to date with what's going on in the Hill um, in terms of both evacuations and who are the friendly Congress people to contact um, Annie Fortzheimer. That's who I was referring to when I said the person who's trying to get this commission, um, you know, focus. I mean, so why doesn't Wah do that? Like, that's incredible because you have the ear of two sides of the aisle. And that is a miracle in this day and age. So I would just push for that to be quite honest, among other things. Um, I'm thinking of the um, incredible list that WA had on its website and still does of the, you know, the phone numbers of those congressional offices across the aisle of people who were staying up all night trying to get people out and are still concerned both because of the military and because of uh, basic human rights uh, and education of, of women, like the Marquis of the world and the, you know, crows of the world. And, the, you know, and, and, and suddenly they're on more than the same page and they've been on pretty much anything for a while. So I would say that in terms of the actual resettlement logistics, you've got all those resettlement agencies who've been starved of funding under the Trump administration, now have, you know, fundings back. They've got a massive challenge on their hands, Lutheran Social Services, Episcopal Migration Ministries, Catholic Charities, all the, what is it, six or seven agencies whose whole reason to be is resettlement. Like, I think- services. Right, exactly, Lutheran services. So, so that is, feels to me like more in place than, I mean, you know, they, they've been doing this work forever. They now have the funding to do this and they have people to resettle. The missing piece is USCIS and those, um, those, uh, those, free, those fees, that, that, that the $575 that it takes to file one humanitarian application, humanitarian parole application, right? Who knows where the P2 visas or the P2 ones are going? I mean, that's all, I, that seems to me, we have no idea how that's gonna actually work out. But something we do have our humanitarian parole for men and the women that we're talking about here. However, each one of them costs $575. So you multiply that by eight or nine and suddenly you've got yet another massive barrier. 
So I would say if there were some political, you know, that that little that fee in there is who knows what it goes for, but it certainly is causing a huge headache. And then there are the issues of, of, of uh, you know, um, all the other stuff that we've talked about. But th those those seem to be, you know, WA has played such an incredible role and does have this unique position in this country, as well as all the incredible work they've done in Afghanistan for so long. Thank you. Yes, I also, I think that it's excellent the way that you approach and the way you are work, working. I think that the displacement people, when they are coming as a refugee, they are coming here. I think these are the things that it needs to be taken care. And if you guys are really thinking in that direction, it's trying to reaching out as many people as you can. That is absolutely also you can involve the Afghan, um, uh, you know, diaspora that they are living in this country. And also you can contact them and they will be more than happy because of the cultural difference also because some of these people are not educated. So the Afghan family can really um, host them and can work with them. And many Afghan love to do that. I think that is uh, fantastic. That is, I am really um, grateful to you that you are working with the um, Women for Afghan Women um, project and trying to really reach out. Uh, this is excellent. And uh, my concern is that Afghanistan really also is very important. We have to keep in mind that we do not miss that part because this part, no matter what, um, like uh, wonderful people like you or what, like this institute or anybody else, and here in this country, the resources there, as Chloe said, there are many, many resources. Resources can be tackled and they can reach. But over there, people are really starving. People are sick. People are absolutely, day, day after day, they are, as much as they are being killed, as much as they are being sick and dying out of diseases there and because of poverty. So I think that uh, we really need to keep up this um, media. Um, I think that this also, this the hashtag that Kului gave, this is uh, excellent because that's also alert them that this uh, teacher needs to get the salary and the money has to get to Afghanistan and the bank should be open. These are the issues that is very important. I think that this issue is very important. And also the people who are working on the ground, I think that somehow the um, humanitarian assistance should get to the uh, local organization who are on the ground and trying to reach out. And so uh, somehow this has to, through the UN, should some kind of a system they give that the local organization who are on the ground can work with the UN and try to really um, reach out for these people and provide this humanitarian assistance. And that is my um, concern, yes. Thank you. Understood, thank you. Thank you very much. We welcome other questions or thoughts. Feel free to unmute yourselves and join us. Questions. Thank you all for coming. Thank you, Chloe and Sakina. And thank you so much, Catherine, for sharing these incredible human resources, human beings with us. Thank you, my son, Hernan. I'm very proud of you. I am so pleased to have you as my son, actually. But that sort of was a nature's or act. But to have you and share with you your passion and our passion is, is remarkable and very satisfying and great pleasure for me. And thank you, Heidi, for running our operation so beautifully. 
And next week, we are going to hear from another member of the family, Ellen, who has in the past shared with us what psychiatric damage. I finally did it. What happened? Do you have a question, Muriel? I do have a question. Oh, okay. uh, my question is, I have read in the paper and the Taliban very much want to send an envoy to the UN. Now, we don't have as much leverage as I would like, and I think all of us agree with that. However, we do have leverage as to whom uh, the UN will accept because we're very involved in it. Could we possibly insist that if they want recognition and they need money, we know that, uh, that women's rights, children go Oh dear. as a right before we allow any of them in as representatives. I mean, we're dealing with what we have. Just a question. Chloe, do you have a thought on that or? Hey, I, I would have thought you would want things like that, which are almost partially symbolic, as well as, of course, being a huge boost to their stature on the world stage. You'd want to hold as far away as a carrot as possible for as many years and try to get movement and, and goals met before that was actually ever You'd want to create benchmarks. I mean, how you do that and how you measure them is, of course, difficult when we don't have anyone, no military or diplomatic corps on the ground. How you verify that they're actually doing what they say they're doing is a little tough. But we do have social media in a way that we didn't have 20 years ago. So maybe there are ways of, of measuring progress. But I, I don't know. That seems like the ultimate carrot that you would not want to give until there is some movement. But what do you think, Sakina? I think you are right, absolutely, especially right now that they closed the um, Human Rights Commissioner completely from Afghanistan. There is no uh, Office of uh, Human Rights Commission at all, and there is not that much people on the ground that it can uh, really represent that. So I think you are absolutely right through the media, the only way that we can get across that, you know. Good, thank you. Great question, Muriel, good thought. So as we were, yes, as we were saying goodbye for today, and thank you for coming, and thank you for the contributions that will give us many, many thoughts, and hopefully action. I still think it's a good, it's <coughs> practical. Unmute, unmute.
It is a good no mute. Oh, mute. mute. I work. Okay, Eva. All right. I, sorry, Mother, I think you were starting to tell us who was the speaker and the topic when Gabrielle uh, uh, presented her question, so that, that got cut off. Thank you, son. Uh, yes, uh, Catherine will share with us ideas and information about COVID around the globe, though she might not be present to make that uh, information, but we will get Ellen, it. Ellen, Ellen will do it. Not me. Alan, yeah, they will not be available. It's gonna, they will not be in town. You'll be in Germany. And so Ellen will present her own information and findings from psychological, psychiatric point of view. And I'm sure she will also have some information from the infectious fellows point of view and Catherine about the world. So the topic will be health and covid and how we are getting out of where we are and how to make the world a better place for ourselves. Thank you for coming. Thank you for inspiring us. Thank you for making us do the right thing and to help the women and the children and to make the world a more educated place. I think we have all learned very much and we are all inspired very, very much to, to act. And we thank you for allowing us to feel good about ourselves too. See you next thank Saturday. You. Thank you. Thank you very much. I would like to thank all of you in behalf of the women and children of Afghanistan. I, I am really deeply um, touched by every one of you. And I pray to God that every one of you have a special energy to go after this. And thank you for Kathleen to getting me involved in this. I really appreciate that to have the floor and be able to speak. And Eva, thank you for hosting this. I, every one of you, I am, some of you, the name is not uh, familiar with me, but I am very glad that I had opportunity to talk to you. Please do not forget the women and children of Afghanistan. They look up at you. I, every moment they are just their eyes and ear is looking for something to happen from this part of the world that it's really, um, they will be chaired for it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you all and come back next Saturday. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.